0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. Happy day to you. It's almost Christmas, but not quite yet. Hopefully, you're getting ready on your shopping stuff, getting it done. If not, this is your reminder, Okay. Um, so, uh, w- growing up, one of the shows I liked to watch was Full House. Um, like most kids my age, when, back in the day when we were kids. And I know that many of you look at me as a kid as well now. It's fine. Um, you just wish you were as young as me. That's what it is. <laughs> JK. Um, but one of the things about Full House is in the introduction of the show, they show the, um, the houses... Um, Called the Pink Ladies. That's what they're known for in San Francisco. And uh, last year, I got to go to uh, San Jose and San Francisco area for a coaching group um, that I was a part of. And I-, I went to go and see the Pink Ladies, and it was it was awesome. And um, spoiler alert: they didn't actually film. The show in that house i 'm sorry, but it was a different house, but anyway, I went and saw that, and but then I also saw one other iconic thing in San Francisco and Does anyone want to guess what that was? Yes, the Golden Gate Bridge, so um, me and a couple of my friends we got to go and see uh, Scott, me, and Jason uh, in the background is the golden gate bridge um, we 'll go to the the next picture, easier on the eyes, I get it. Um and and you know the Golden Gate Bridge is amazing this was on the other side of San Francisco after you cross it um but the, the thing about the the Golden Gate Bridge is as I was driving the vehicle with two of my friends in there um and we were approaching the the bridge you know what i didn't ask myself is this safe to go across because it was designed in 1917, wasn't built till 1937. It's been around the block a few times. Well, it stayed there. You know, it is the block. But um, I, I didn't ask myself, should I cross this? Because here's the thing. I'm like you. Trust is, I I look at trust the same way as you do. It's built on experience. You know, for each and every one of us, because we're here, and, and those of you online, you know, you're still alive. Um, all of us on the bridges that we've driven across or ridden across in a vehicle, all of us have gotten across each one, right? Because if you didn't, you probably wouldn't be here. I'm just saying, you know, wouldn't be on the stream. That's not how it would work. Um, so I didn't have to, to question whether or not I should go across the bridge because based on every other experience I've had on a bridge, it worked and it still does. So if you go to San Francisco, want to go to the Golden Gate Bridge, it's fine, I think you know, but things could change. Um, but if you see other cars going across and then going into the water, don't go on it. Okay. So trust, you know, trust is a thing that in, in our day right now is on a, uh, a, a dwindling, um, amount of trust. Like we don't have a lot of trust in our day and time, especially as Americans, when it comes to trusting in institutions, um, we don't trust a lot of institutions. If you look up on the screen, there's going to be a graph there, and this is just our institutional trust from uh, 2021 and 2022, and it's a comparison of each of those. As you can see on the top, if you're in the back and you, you don't have your glasses on, let me just let you know. At the top is small business. We trust small businesses, um, and, and, and at the bottom is Congress. Not a surprise there, right? Um, somewhere in the middle is the church, and that, according to Americans, uh, 37% of people trust the church as, as an entity, and that was in 2021. But in 2022, that dropped by six percentage points, down to 31%. And if you look at the far right and the percentage points, all of them are negative, Except for one, and that is organized labor. Maybe the unions haven't made enough, you know, headlines to for people to get more mad at them. But um, as you can see, all of us, all of these institutions, as Americans as a whole, we trust them far less today than we did last year, because well, we see what goes on. And, and I know, like, as as what the, what basically this means is like the people who lead these kinds of organizations and institutions. If you don't trust the institution as a whole, then the people who lead them, you're going to be more suspicious about, right? That's why you, you elect politicians and we're like, well, can't really expect anything to happen, but I guess we'll do it, right? Um, and and when it comes to churches, I know that that because you've been hurt by leaders in the past, because you've experienced untrustworthy leadership and and people who are in positions of authority, it's it's why a lot of you, when when it comes to the staff or the elders, when you think about us, it, you can't help but have suspicion. It's because you by by just nature of society, you just don't trust. People in authority, that's how we are as a society. We we, we very much don't trust people um, in institutions. And also, like it's not just institutional trust that has dwindled, but we have people trust that has dwindled. And that's really a byproduct of all of that, right? That we trust people less than we used to. Um, and there's all kinds of sorts of reasons that you could point to for your own story on why you trust people less today than you maybe did um, uh, years ago. Uh, whatever experiences you had. And also, our, our amount of trust for God has even dwindled. You know, there's more, there's more people who are atheists or agnostic. Because they look at the world and they have all their reasons on why they don't trust God. Um, they, you know, they ask the question like, in a world like this, is it possible that God would actually be good? That God would actually be loving? Actually be the way that the Christians say that he is? So the question for all of us is like in a world that is uh, dwindling in trust, that you probably had struggles to trust people, um, is, is God still worthy of our trust? And I would say um, yes, and I know that most of you would probably agree with me. But it's in the advent of love that we see our reason on why we can trust God with everything that we've got. And so that's what we're going to look at today is the advent of love, that with Jesus coming and coming again, we see love raining down from heaven to earth. It's the uh, the theme of Advent that we call love. That's what we're going to dig into. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be jumping into a number of passages to start. So Genesis chapter 1 um, is where we're going to begin. So if you have a Bible, it's the first page. Uh, once you actually get into it. So that's going to be the easiest moment of you finding the Bible passage of your life. Genesis chapter 1. Um, this is what is is happening. God has created the heavens and the earth, and he's created the animals and all of that, and he is getting to the pinnacle, the, the, the climax of his creation in creating you and me, creating Adam and Eve, creating mankind. And this is what um, the scriptures say in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Let me go back to verse 26. It says something curious that I want to point, us, point to us that, that is going to set the stage for the rest of our conversation. Then God said, let... What's that word, church? Then God said, let us make man in in our image according to the likeness of God according to our likeness um, you know if, if someone said hey I need you to come over and give me some help with something you know maybe getting some Christmas decorations set up um, and you said yeah we will be over in a minute and then you show up and it's just you that's kind of weird right? because it's just you yourself and you and and they probably in that moment were like expecting you to show up with someone else and now that you're there by them by yourself and you're saying, Hey, we're here um and now you're referring to yourself as a, a plurality of people, they're now regretting inviting you over and having you in their house. Right? Um, so, so it's kind of weird, kind of odd that, that God would say, let us make man in our image. See, this is the first passage of scripture. Uh, I mean, you could argue from the very beginning um, as the spirit is um, a, kind of over the, the depths. Um, we see in Genesis chapter one, the first page of scripture, God giving us a revelation about who he is, about his own very nature. See, here's the thing, before God ever created a star in the sky, before he ever um, created dirt and and water and, and the magnificent mountains that we see, before he did any of that, before he created Mars and the moon and Jupiter and Saturn with all its moons and all that stuff, before he ever did that, what was existent was God in his perfect essence and inside of himself was love. See, this is the, one of the first passages we see in Scripture that is showing us the triune nature of God. The triune nature of God. Church, let's say that together, triune. One, two, three, triune. Yeah, you can impress your friends with that word later. Um, this, this is that God is is this. Let me explain this a little bit to you on the triune nature of God. It's important. I'm going somewhere with it, okay? So just track with me. God eternally exists as three persons. Father... Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Now, that seems to be odd, right? I'm saying that, that God is three, but he's one. He's, he's one, but he's three. There's three persons. My, my uh, late, the late theologian and my former professor, Dr. Jack Cottrell, said this about the, the doctrine of the Trinity, the triune nature of God. Maybe this will help. He said this, God is three persons who share one essence or substance, that God is three persons means that within the one divine nature are three individual centers of consciousness. Each of the persons is fully conscious of himself as distinct from the other two. And as and as existing in eternal interpersonal relationship with the other two. We call these three persons the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if your brain hurts, if your eyes are glazing over, understand, we understand, everyone has understood this to be the case when we try and think upon the Trinity. Theologian J.I. Packer said that the idea of God being a Trinity is perhaps the most difficult thought that the human mind has been ever asked to handle. Okay, so why do I point us to something that could confuse you? Okay, I'm not trying to confuse you. Um, And I'm also not trying to impress you. This is just the nature of God. If you think that you understand God in its fullness, you've misunderstood God. Okay? So if you think that you can put God in a little box and put him under a science experiment and try and figure him out, my friend, you you, you do not know God. Um, God is so much bigger and so much more magnificent. But this is the thing. In God himself Three persons, three, um, consciousnesses, um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Before there ever was a, uh, anything in the known universe, there was in existence a relationship of love. And this was a perfect relationship, a perfect, holy relationship with God, with himself. Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Spirit, the Spirit loving the Son, the Spirit loving the Father, the Father loving the Spirit. And all of them being in this perfect, loving relationship, that is what has existed before there ever was the existence of time. If you go back, okay, what was before all of this? Keep asking the question, what was before that? What was before that? What was before that? What was before that? The very beginning and always has been, has been an existence of perfect love and righteousness inside of a relationship. You cannot have love unless you have an object to love. So the Father loving the Son, the Father loving the Spirit, the Spirit loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, and, and all vice versa, this has been an existence from the very beginning of time. Why do I say that? Well, in God creating mankind, he didn't have to create you and me. He didn't have to. He wanted to. He, he, he does not need you. He does not need me. He does not need us. But he decided to create. And what he was wanting to do, I believe that we can see this in scripture, is to invite mankind into this loving relationship that he has within himself. So that you and I could experience what real love, what perfect love, what holy love is like. That's why anytime you have a relationship that is really just feeling like there's tension involved, maybe it's difficult and, and all this, it's because you are trying to love someone and, and with a, an imperfect love and you desire to be loved by a perfect love. That is why every relationship you have ever had has been messy at times. But this relationship that God created with Adam and Eve, created him in, the, in their image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, we see this going south really quickly, right? So you just flip a page, and that's how long it lasted. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had trusted the serpent more than they had trusted their God. Um, and, and if you have a relationship with the Lord, that, that thing is founded on trust, and, and they broke that relationship because they, they failed to trust the Lord. This is what it says in Genesis chapter three, verses 22 through 24. The, then the Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the, the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way of the tree of life. So maybe you grew up believing that the only reason that Adam and Eve got um, kicked out of the garden of Eden was because of their sin and because they were being punished by God. Well, that is true. They, they, were be, they did sin against God. They did disobey and they were kicked out because of that sinfulness, Um the other part of this is something that is so easy to miss, but we cannot forget. that the, the reason why God sent them out of the garden was because of what he says in verse 22. What does it say? The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and, and uh, in essence being sinful because of his knowledge and failing to uphold the holiness of God, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. our our God loved Adam and Eve so much and loved us so much that he sent them out of the Garden of Eden so they could not take a bite of the the tree of life. Because if they took a a bite of the tree of life as in a sinful state, they would be in a sinful state for eternity. And so he had a better plan in mind. God God loved Adam and Eve, and loves humankind, loved mankind, knew you before you were ever a twinkle in your mother and father's eyes. Uh, he knew you and wanted to rescue you. And that is why we celebrate Advent and the arrival of Jesus coming to earth. Because we see this is what God has been working toward. In John chapter 1, um, starting in verse 1, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, the, was God. It sounds like Genesis 1. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Who is that word? Who is the word who was with God and who who was God? Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth. Friends, um, we we must see that, that that you can trust God because while you were yet a sinner, Christ pursued you. Y'all y'all he, he did not have to come for your sake. He did not the the, the second member of the Trinity the son did not have to come down, put on flesh to dwell among us, to enter into our mess, to adopt our own weakness, to 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 save us from our own demise. He didn't need to do the, any of that. And that is what we see in the arrival of this baby, that this baby was yet a baby, yet a king. He was a baby, yet he was God. And, and he came so that you and I would know what it's like to be pursued and to be loved with a perfect kind of love. That he came so that you would have life and have it to the full. And this is kind of hard for us to wrap our heads around because we experience all kinds of things on this earth that is the, the, the lack of love, that is the lack of perfect love. And I know you've heard it so many times, like, oh, God is love and, and the, the, the Lord loves you and the love the Lord pursues you. Like most of you have heard this so many times that you've you maybe even have grown numb to it. Friends, this is the very foundation of your existence, that you exist as a person who is loved by the Almighty Creator God, who did not need to save you but chose to, who did not need to pursue you, but chose to. You did not do anything to deserve it. You did not do anything to earn it. But he just loved you because he is love in his own self. And he wants to invite you and I into this triune relationship of love that has existed from the very beginning of everything. And it's it's not even from the very beginning. It's existed forever because God is eternal. He has never begun and he will never end. He has always been. That is the kind of level of love that God has for you, See, like friends, y'all, the most dangerous thing in the world for you is not the thing that you probably point to in the very beginning of that question. Like, what's the most dangerous thing in the world for you? You could probably come up with some, some things. Here's the most dangerous thing in the world for you. The most dangerous thing in the world for you is to lose out the awestruckness that you have in the fact that God loves you. If you get to a point where that just becomes normal, that becomes comfortable, that becomes something that you take for granted, that's the most dangerous thing for you. Because that is the, vo- the, mo- the actual foundation of existence. The reason God created you was out of love. The only reason you take a next breath is because God loves you. The only reason you'll exist for eternity um, in his presence is because he loves you. That is the only reason. That is the only fact. And the fact that none of us deserve it and none of us could ever earn it is the is the, is the most mind-boggling thing that God would still choose to love you. Because because you're hateful. You're, you're mean. You, you have moments where you, you you do something that's ugly and, and you're frustrated and you, you live life in ways that you've sinned against others and, and so have I. And none of us deserve it. And yet Jesus came down to, to rescue you. Like, like you, you were the one who was hanging on the side of the cliff, ready to fall to your, to your death. And Jesus ran to you and grabbed you. And if that's become, if you've become numb to that, then that's a dangerous place because then you you start to discount the work of God in you. You start to discount even the purpose that God has for you. Um, you know, have you anybody heard of Rich Mullins? He's a Christian worship artist. Okay. Um, he has passed and passed a while ago, but there was a, a, a kind of a movie documentary biopic on him called Ragamuffin that was done. And, um, Rich is not one of these guys who, you know, you think of and, and he's gonna say, you know, the Lord's good and, and by golly, I am holy and righteous. You know, he's not gonna be those guys. That, he's not gonna be that guy. He was a, he was a sinner and a saint. And he was very open about his struggles and he had a lot of them. Um, but, but he was lavished by the love of God and that came through in a lot of the songs that he wrote and that he performed. And, um, in the movie, there is a scene where a radio DJ is um, interviewing him and he, he uh, brings up a song uh, that he, that, that Rich had written for Amy Grant called Doubly Good to You. And uh, he, he kind of recited some of the lyrics. He said this, hey, you know, I know that song, you know, it goes like this. And if you find a love that's tender, if you find someone who's true, thank the Lord. He's been good, doubly good to you. Um and really that's more of a relational kind of like, you know, kind of marriage kind of uh lyrics and and the the DJ had done some some research because he knew that Rich had gone through a really bad breakup and you know he had not found that person who who had love that was tender and someone who was true and um you know that he could point to God being doubly good to him. Um so he's like, hey, it seems kind of cruel that that God would do that to you because It doesn't seem like God's been that for you. And and Rich responded with this in response to that question. He said, God is not obligated to be singly good to any of us. God is not obligated to be singly good to any of us. If you think you deserve salvation... By your mere existence and being a good person, understand you've got it fully twisted. That is not how the Bible um, describes our nature and and what the the whole purpose of Jesus coming. Um, God does not des- you do not deserve Him to be good to you. Rich was completely right. None of us deserve God to be singly good to us or doubly good to us or anything beyond that because you and I are wretched, poor, and and, and we are without any kind of hope apart from. Jesus. And this is why that makes this Advent season and the Advent of love something that throughout the centuries the church has chosen to focus on because it's in the, the the actual reality of the fact that we don't deserve it, that God still chose to do it, that we find freedom as human beings to be able to be loved by him. Even though we don't deserve it, we didn't earn it. Like if you some of you have probably lived your life trying to earn God's love. Because because maybe because a parent did not give love to you, did not assure you of their love for you, so you felt like you had to earn it all the time. Y'all stop striving. You cannot earn God's love. You, you you've already you can't do that. You're not that good. And so you, you are loved with a great kind of love. There is nothing you can do that would make God love you more right now. You know, just pray harder, get things right on how you understand the world, uh, grow in knowledge, you know, read your Bible more. That, that's not going to make God love you more. You are already loved infinitely. And there's also nothing that you can do that would make God love you less. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. You can can turn your back on God, but that does not mean that he will not love you. That you're just choosing a different path, and that path will end with wrath and hell. And that will be your choice that you made. God made a way for you to be in his presence. But if you choose to go away from his presence, then that is your choice. That's where you're going. See, see, all, none of us, we, we cannot do anything that would make God love us more or make God love us less. Because the, the love that God has for us has been exhibited already on the cross. Well, if God's so loving, if God is so good, then why doesn't He fix the world? He is! He's fixing you! by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as you surrender to him. And one day he's going to return y'all and he's going to remake all things. He's going he's to fix all the stuff that's been broken and he's going to remake the earth and the heavens and remake you as well. And you will be able to be with him in paradise forever where there will be no more pain or no more tears or no more conflict or anything like that. It will be perfection that you'll be able to enjoy with him with. Friends, here's the thing, like... Some people look at, okay, spiritual depth. What does it mean to be spiritually deep? Some people think that it's, it's growing in knowledge. And while knowledge is good, to be spiritually deep is this. If, if you want to be, know what it's like to be spiritually mature, it's to never lose sight at the breadth and the depth of your own sinfulness. And to always remind yourself of the far more breadth and depth of the love of God for you. That there is nothing that you could ever do. You cannot outsin the grace of God. You cannot outsin the love of God. He will always love you more than you love him. And spiritually deep people always know what it's like to be loved by a lavish God and to love people because they know that their love that God has for them was not deserved for them. So spiritual depth is founded in love. It may sound elementary, but it's not. It's the most deep thing of existence and of us actually following after the Lord is to be a person who can understand the depths and the breadths of God's love for you and to never lose sight of it. See, we lose sight of God's love, and that is a quick path to a place of destruction. Because then we start to be one of these Christians. You know them. These Christians who, man, they, they've heard a lot about Jesus. They, they've heard a lot about the love of God. But they don't act like Jesus. They don't love like God loves. They're They're cold. I mean that, that you keep in mind the love of God. This is what Jesus says himself. I mean, this is what he's saying. John chapter 15, verse 13, "No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any, anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask, the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. Friends, I'm just point you back. Verse 13. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are loved to the greatest degree of love that you could ever be loved with. Why? Because this baby, born in the manger, born in Bethlehem, 2,000 plus years ago, Put on flesh to dwell among you so that he would go to the cross and sacrifice himself for your sake. You have been loved with the greatest kind of love. And and let me just read this again, verse 16. Some of you, this may just release you from a lot of bondage that you've had. Um, Jesus said this, you did not choose me. Please pay attention to this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You've been chosen by Jesus picked out to be loved by him. And friend, like you can trust God because he is perfect love and righteousness. He's perfect love and righteousness. He will never harm you or forsake you because he's loved you in that kind of way. He cannot do wrong. He is always right and he always tells you the truth. He always listens to you and he always loves you. See, our trust muscle as human beings isn't very strong because it can be quite difficult to trust people. And, and whether we like it or not, our level of trust for people is usually what affects our level of trust for God. Like, think about it. Like, some of you, like, you, you've, you've gone through some stuff, right? Like, when, when you've been kicked out of your house at 18 for doing the right thing for your family, it makes it hard to trust people. When you've lived with a fear that someone was going to try to hurt you or kill you because they threatened you with that, it makes it hard to trust people. When, when you've had family members shun you, it makes it hard to trust people. When you've been shunned by your best friend and most of your closest friends for choosing to go into ministry, it makes it hard to trust people. When you've been insulted and attacked by people in the church you had invested a whole lot of time into, it makes it hard to trust people. When you've been attacked by close friends, it, it makes it hard to trust people. When you've been gossiped about by friends, it makes it hard to trust people. It makes it hard. Like maybe for you, like I don't know, what about for you? Maybe maybe you've had people make assumptions about you, never come to you to ask how things really are and then spread their assumptions as if they were true. Maybe you've dealt with that. Maybe you've uh, had someone turn on you. Maybe you've had someone abuse you. Maybe you've had someone shun you. You know, sometimes people present a pattern that and that That can make it very hard, very difficult to trust them. But here's the thing too. God has also presented a pattern. Love and righteousness. God has presented a pattern for us. That from the very beginning of time, he's loved you with a righteous love. Y'all, God is holy. He's righteous. And that means he cannot sin. And if he cannot sin and he is love, then that means he cannot sin against you. That means he cannot violate your trust. That means he cannot wrong you. That means he cannot harm you because he is righteous. He is perfect. And he loves you all the way to the end. He he gave his life for you. He loves you with a perfect kind of love and he cannot sin. So if he cannot sin against you, then he is the one that you can put all of your trust in. Because while people will fail you, while people will hurt you, it does not mean that God will. Because God has a perfect track record of loving you Through thick and thin, even when you were someone who was unlovable, unlovely, someone who was messy, who was difficult, who was stubborn, you've been that person in God's relationship with you, and he's still decided to love you. You can trust God with everything. You can can trust him because he's perfect love and righteousness. He will never harm you or forsake you. So, So, okay, how can... How do you trust God practically? Okay, because that's what we've been talking about, trust, right? We've been talking about trust. How how do you trust God practically? I, i got two things, and they will blow your mind, okay? So I hope you're ready. You don't believe me, do you? You're being set up. You know it. The way you trust God is, number one, to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love him with all you got. Even when it's hard to love, you love them still. And the second thing is like it. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Even when people make it really hard to love them. Even when when moments that you you deal with in your life where where everything seems to be crashing in on you. Where people are hurting you or people are, are being mean or whatever it is for you. Even in those moments, the way you trust God is choosing to love people even in those moments when it's hard. Even in those moments where it seems to be impossible to love someone, even when you don't know what it means to love someone, you choose to lean in and to give them yourself and to treat them the way you would want to be treated, to be kind to them and loving and to be able to give them a taste of what you've tasted from the Lord and that is his love for you. You flow it out of you to them and you love them. That is how you trust God. Because I know that some of us, we've got situations, we've got relationships, we've got struggles that, that have made it really hard for us to trust anyone, let alone God, in the process. That, that we've, been, we've been knocked down and we, we're getting tired of getting back up and, and we are, are, are at a point where it's like, what, what do we do? This is what it looks like to, to love God and to trust God, is to, 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 to give Him yourself, to give Him everything. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite theologians, says this, we might well pray for God to invade and conquer conquer us. For until he does, we remain in peril from a thousand foes. If God has not captured you to where the thing that you live with is the conviction that the the most foundational, most meaningful, most impactful thing that you can do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. With everything that you are, you obey him, you follow him, you trust him, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. If God has not captured you with that conviction, then I plead with you to plead with him for it. Because that is what this world needs. Is in the advent of love we see Jesus coming down to love us. And in the advent of us coming as followers of Jesus into people's um, lives. We need to be those kinds of people who would point them to the fact that true love, real love really exists. That God still loves them and they see it through our good deeds. And through our love for them. Through our care for them that's what it comes down to. So, how can you how can you celebrate Christmas really well this year? By trusting God. And how can you trust God? By loving him with everything you got. By loving people with everything you got, even the ones who didn't love you back or love you first. So the question for all of us is like, okay, what does it look like then? To start to trust him, it begins with surrender. So if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and, and given him everything that you've got, to, to and, and he, this is what he offers when you do that. He offers for you to join in this relationship of love that he's had from eternity past and into eternity future that you can experience the love of God when you surrender to him. He invites you to do it. So if that's not something that you've done, I would love to talk to you after service. Or you can go to the Welcome Center and we'd love to talk to you over there. For, for everyone else that, that you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, y'all, y'all don't 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 let the love of God grow grow numb on you. Remember who you were before he captured you. Remember how far you've come. And also remember how far you've got to go. And then we will have the humility to trust him, to not trust in ourselves and to love him and to love people. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. There is nothing we can do to repay you. There is nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it, and yet you showered it upon us. Um, Lord, this week, as we remember the fact that Jesus came to earth out of love for us so that no one would perish, but all would be able to come to repentance, God, would you please remind us of the love that we've been showered with and allow that to just propel us to love people well. God, there's a lot of stuff that all of us are going through. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would invade and conquer us. That you would invade us with your love and that you would conquer us with the conviction that we are to love. And that everything else that we do flows from that. Hear us as we sing. Jesus, we thank you for coming for coming so that we could have rescue and have life to the fullest. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.